1: Welcome
0: to the DFO Rundown podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com.
1: Welcome to episode 32 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger, along with Frank Saravalli, coming to you live from the woodjerseystudios.com. You see our lovely uh, Boston Bruins wood jersey. You can get one in your your team colors. They have lots more coming. Seattle fans, Vegas fans, Carolina fans, uh, don't worry, they're working on it. They got it all coming. It's an officially licensed NHL product. So head to woodjerseys.com, see if they have your favorite team, and they look to have all of them uh, this offseason and what should be a crazy offseason and uh, Frank how you doing. I'm good really good Jason what's up. Lots man the uh, the playoffs get more intriguing we know the Islanders and uh, and Bruins are going to get going on Saturday. Of course we got a game seven. Uh, Two of the Vegas. best words in the English language game yeah, seven. I, I love it. Um. Carolina punches their ticket them in Tampa Bay. That should be a hell of a series. And uh, you know, Montreal staves off. I'll say this Joel Armia was just rattling the pots and pans of a fan base's kitchen, because when you haven't won a series since 2004 and you lose game five, and I still think the Leafs will win the series, but if Montreal wins game six, man, the angst in Toronto is going up and Hey, kudos to uh, Montreal because at least we get to see fans in Canada for the first time since March dealt the last time there was fans in Canada was at Winnipeg was in Edmonton I was at that game it was a Wednesday night on March and we haven't seen anything since March 11th. So. I think
2: it's 449 days
1: since yeah, there were so, fans hey, at a hockey game in Canada I'm looking for some positive signs just for uh, for health and well-being and seeing hey, some fans in the building in Canada will be by the way it in the states I,
2: Uh, Yeah. And I think it actually makes a difference, you know, even 2,500, like, you know, just from the players that have been in that environment and gone from zero to 2,500 or to 1,200, whatever the number is, they say you can immediately tell a difference. And to just add a little bit of juice, because, you know, we've talked about this flipping back and forth between games in the U S and games in Canada, it feels like a different world. And I know that People in Canada are living in a different world quite literally than what's going on outside of the rink in the U S but it, it, the games, it's a different
1: environment, different atmosphere. It doesn't even feel like the same sport sometimes. No, no, not at all. The, the 2,500 fans is going to make a massive uh, difference. And, you know, well, I, I think the thing is, though, I think it inspi- it will uh, ignite the Toronto Maple Leafs as much as Montreal because it'll be the first time for both teams. Like, obviously, it'll be cheering for Montreal, but just hearing that noise and that energy, you know, I've talked to a lot of players, and they say, when you hear that, and having not heard it for so long, like, obviously, it's going to give some juice to Montreal, but I think it, in, a, in another way, it gives Toronto players a little juice hmm. because you just hear that atmosphere. So you think Toronto closes it out in game six? Well, I think they're the better team, but so yeah, I will take Toronto. I think I said Toronto at the start of the series in game in six. So I'll stick with Toronto. Mm -hmm. I mean, look, they've dominated this
2: series for stretches, you know, game one Montreal was opportunistic. Harry Price has been pretty good. Montreal struggled to score most of the series. And then what I really liked for Montreal in game five was the response after blowing that lead, they could have easily packed it in. Hey, you know, this is it. Our season's over. We're going to overtime. Toronto's got the better offensive team. Um, you know, they're the team that's been hounding us in shots, you know, they could have just folded like a cheap tent and they didn't obviously opportunistic. You get a break two on zero and, Oh, and, and that makes a difference, but still, I mean, they, they to, to, to not have it end in and sag so much
1: that it ended in regulation, I think said something about the Habs. Hey man, three goal leads. You want to avoid those at all costs. It seems uh, in the playoffs, ask the orders, ask the Leafs, ask the man, there's lots of teams we can go through, but how about a two on O in overtime? Man, I was racking my brain trying to think the last time I saw a two on O from the blue line. I mean, crazy. uh, Like those are the types of opportunities that even the
2: players are so shocked that (laughs) they usually miss the net or something weird happens. Like to, to end up with a goal, it was almost like surprising as you were watching it.
1: Uh, we're going to have Trip Tracy join us today as our guest to break down uh, Carolina, uh, you know, his brief time at CNN, uh, also the Carolina Tampa Bay series, which is going to be electric. I can't wait to start that one. Uh, we do have Vegas, Minnesota. Does either team who wins have a chance against Colorado, Frank, or is Colorado I think they taking the both series do. regardless?
2: Well, I think they both have a chance. I mean, look, here's the other part about Colorado after coming off of that sweep. And we see this all the time. This is a long wait now. You know, you're, you're going to be approaching 10 days or something like that. By the time you get back on the ice and play a game again, you get down in a hole against a team like Vegas. They don't need a lot of life, a lot of breathing room in order to compete. Those teams were neck and neck all season long, uh, in the standings. And and I don't think Minnesota has gotten enough respect for how good they've been this year. Um, they kept pace with those teams right until the bitter end. They were in the mix in the the standings in the West. And so um, they've given Vegas all that they can handle. They've shown plenty of fight, uh, certainly in game six to force a seven. And they've controlled the season series against Vegas. So I think Vegas is better equipped to face off against Colorado, but I, I wouldn't take anything away from either team.
1: A little bit of a quiet time for for non-playoff teams uh, right now, although it's going to heat up when we get to June, and especially with July, the expansion draft and the draft, and then, of course, free agency. Um, Ken Holland came out and, you know, pretty straightforward and, and saying yeah uh, very high possibility that there's going to be a buyout in Edmonton mm-hmm. and so you know there, there's two obvious choices you got James Neal who you can buy out he's got two years remaining so if you buy him out you would save 3.83 million for the first two years but then you'd have dead cap space of 1.9 for the following two years and you know if people look at like a five-year window those final two years are when you would think in theory Edmonton should be a legit cup contender and dead caps should space, be before you know, like. that, by the way. Well, no, okay. I know, but you're just talking sure yeah. for those two years before, but you know, like Edmonton's got to win a playoff series, right? That's maybe next year. Then the year after, maybe go conference final. We'll see. There's, it's never a straight trajectory. We see that like Chicago's kind of the rarity, but you got also Miko Koskinen who, if you, he's only got one year. So if you buy him out, do you save 3 million this year? And then you have 1.5 of dead cap space. So as a big non-proponent, of dead cap space i see more sense in koskinen because of the long-term ramifications it's only one year of dead cap space and you know you have three million saved with him it's 3.8 with neil it's kind of the same but james Neal, you do it for two years which one would you do and why i would do james Neal.
2: um i just think getting that extra 3 million now you know i know that we have a better window now especially if you're doing buyouts with the way the cap is structured in the CBA, knowing that it's not going to change much. It's not like you're buying James Neal out and you're hoping that the cap increases to the point where it sort of wipes out whatever his dead cap hit is. But I think with his, his hit and where he is at five plus million and also sort of the lack of production value that he brings that 3 million that you save right off the hop, I think can help get you a player that could, you know, move the needle a little bit in your mid, middle six. And I'd be willing to take the long-term ramifications of that uh, because when you get further out in your cap window, there's other contracts that are then expiring that also make that dead cap space a little bit easier to deal with. So uh, I think with Koskinen, I bite the bullet for a year. Uh, if I determine that I, I, he's a fine third goalie, I'd bury his cap hit in the minors for the year. Save the 1.1 million, and you know, knock that down to you know just under three and a half, and you know, then not have to be stuck with that extra year of dead cap space the following year. Uh, bite the bullet and just get through the Koskinen deal, and <clears throat> it's still like Jason, like it it blows my mind that Peter Shirelli was able to sign Miko Koskinen. Yeah. was it 72 hours or 48 hours before being 48. fired? Like it's like, it's just like, how does that happen?
1: Yeah. And, and you know what? Like people, people in Edmonton like to use Chiarelli as a scapegoat. I'm sorry. Your organization allowed that there's, you know, when your GM signing that unless it's carte blanche and the GM makes announcements and no one else in the organization knows about it. That to me, because if, if you're assistant GM or some, somebody's got to sign, you know, you got to put in the proper paper, that'd be somebody else who knows to say, hey, wait a sec. Like, Yeah, but he was given autonomy.
2: And, and that's the oh, way yes. the autonomy is supposed to work, is you're supposed to have someone in your president of hockey ops that you trust to be making the right decisions. And time and time again, he made every wrong decision possible. We need, as the league's going faster and lighter, we need to get bigger and heavier. Oh, huh? Yeah how does that work and then we go with like you know look back to 2017 that series we talked about last week against the ducks when you take you have the erosion of talent that you've had with that group and you take jordan Eberly and you trade him for strome and then you trade strome yeah for Spooner, who's not even in the league anymore like you're you get crushed so you oh. got you got Eberle, who was in your lineup in the in the series against Anaheim and also Pat Maroon who now can become the first player in NHL history to win three three straight Stanley Cups with two different teams. No one's ever done it. You take two pieces like that out of your group and you know, you're down with four really impactful forwards that you have in your lineup. You've got McDavid, Dry Sito, Puljujarvi and Nugent Hopkins and that's it.
1: Oh, well, hey, yeah, go, go even further. Yeah, like, sure, if, if you're doing the whole encompassing of Shirelli, like, it's a great debate on which was the worst trade, right? Usually you want to have debates on which was the best, but you could have the worst. And as bad as the, you know, the Strom for Spooner trade was, it's still not the worst. The worst trade was the Griffin-Reinhardt trade. You gave up a first rounder and a second rounder for a guy who wasn't even a top-pairing defenseman in the AHL that season. Like, that is unforgivable. I don't and you mean, didn't you don't even mention take, Hall and Larson. Yeah. You don't have to take, well, Larson at least plays, right? So that's the one thing. At least you have something to show. So
2: that's him. the, that's the baseline is like, oh, he
1: plays. That's yeah. good. He oh, plays. Still, I get, Hey, I'm that's why I'm saying it's not the worst. It's not ideal, but it's not the worst. The worst was the Reinhardt trade. You got absolutely nothing for two picks and you didn't have to take Matt Barzell. You could have taken Kyle Connor. You could have taken Thomas Shabbat. Heck Erickson Eck would be a massive upgrade. There were so many players available. Travis connect me, go down the list of guys they could have taken at that spot. Like imagine Kyle Connor with Connor McDavid. Like, are you joking? So yeah, that's, I'm not, uh, trust me, I'm not defending Shirelli. I just think the timing of the Koskinen deal, the organization must've known he was on thin ice and it wasn't be like, Oh, now he signed Koskinen. We're going to fire him. Like, Unless Co- and, and he just and what went, had Koskinen well, done to that to that nothing. point to deserve that nothing. kind of no, was that kind of number, dude, dude, it was the worst. I was on holidays in Maui when it happened. Struds was ho- Jason Strudwick was hosting my show. He called me and he's like, "Yeah, we need to get you on." And I'm like, "Dude, I'm on holidays." He's like, "They signed Koskinen." I'm like, "Yeah, for four point five mil." I'm like, "Oh, for how many years? Three. And I thought he meant like total four point five. I'm like, "Oh, one point five? That's a pretty good contract." He goes no per year. Oh my it was god! You're like, okay, I'm on the line. <laughs> Oh, God, it was unreal. So, yeah, that was a terrible, terrible deal. So, the buyout, you take Neil. And I get the Neil, it's 3.8. I do see, though, because I just, I don't think this team trusts Koskinen. At the end of the day, he lets in soft goals at the most inopportune time. He can How play well. For a How while. could you trust him? I mean, like
2: he he, yeah. he he showed, he had, he had, he was given the ball to start this year. Yeah. Mike Smith yeah. starts the year on LTIR. They say, Miko, this is your team. Go run with it. And he, they're, they were yeah, six they and seven by the time Smith got in the lineup. Yeah, Smith changed their
1: season. Yeah, no, it's definitely true. Hey, let's get to buy or sell with uh, producer Ty. Ty, how you doing, my man?
0: i am fantastic jason uh did you guys remember to reference koskinen has a no trade clause as well so if the oilers want to trade him, they need his permission as well
1: well he's got 15 teams <laughs> yeah, 15 that, team, he's, got no a, he's got a partial uh, no trade but still yeah that's even better right hey guy you've ne- you've never been a full <laughs> season in the nhl here's a partial no trade clause unreal
0: Chirelli would have given me a no trade clause and i didn't even work for the organization uh buy or sell brought to you by jock market stay in the game it's a hybrid between fantasy sports and the stock market, we got our promo code DFO50, gets you a $50 deposit bonus. Uh, we're going to start with sort of a head-to-head question here. In buy or sell, it's going to be the Canes versus the Lightning. If you had to buy or sell on one star heading into this series, would it be Sebastian Ajo or Nikita Kucherov? Frank, which one are you buying on?
2: I'm going to go with Aho. Pretty consistent playoff performer. I know that when we had our media hacks uh, playoff pool draft. Aho was my first selection. And so I'm going to stick with Ajo.
1: Oh, I'll go Kucherov. He's, guy's rested, uh, <laughs> comes back and man, when he's on that power play, it's almost unstoppable. So I will, uh, I will take Kucherov.
0: You guys touched on this a little bit earlier on in the podcast, but the idea that the Colorado Avalanche have been sitting for a while and some would say that too much rest would create rust do you buy or sell the idea that the avalanche could be rusty heading into their playoff series against either Vegas or Minnesota, Jason?
1: Well, I'm selling because I, I expect that series is going to start uh, either Sunday or Monday, right? So they, they last played on Monday. Um, that's, you know, that's like a, it's like a bye week in a normal regular season. I, I think they're rested. I think they'll be fine. Like if there's rust, it might be in the first period. And then it's gone after that. The Nathan McKinnon, man, the guy was averaging 2.25 points. He has nine points in, in four games like him and Rantanen are just on fire right now. So, uh, uh, if the rust is there, it's about as long as the hair on my head, which isn't very much. So it won't be, uh, it won't be long to see McKinnon and Rantanen dominate.
2: Yeah. I'm going to buy the rust factor. And I think you're right though, Jason, that it doesn't last very long, but still, if it, if it lasts enough in game one that it's an impact and, and either Vegas or Minnesota has an edge to start the series, I don't know that it's going to make that big of a difference overall because Colorado is going to have plenty of runway to get back into it. So I think they're in fine shape, but I do think it, it is there is a rust factor for sure.
0: The Boston Bruins will be going up against the New York Islanders. Boston could arguably be the hottest team in hockey. Islanders coming off a big win over the Penguins. I'm going to say Bruins in six or earlier. Buying or selling on that, Frank?
2: Selling. Okay. I think you can, not you, but everyone continues to underestimate the New York Islanders at their own peril. I mean, I know I, do. I, I had Pittsburgh winning that first round series, Barry trots. All the man does is win in the first round. And guess what? He won in the second round last year with the Islanders too, getting them to the Eastern final. Um, I, I just think they find a way to, if
1: not win the series, push it pretty deep. Oh, six or less, I'll buy on that all day long. Uh, I like Boston over Washington. Um, they're they're The Islanders aren't going to get the gift goals from Tuka Rass that they got from Tristan Jari in the first round. Um, I agree that Trotz gets the most out of his team all the time, but uh, the Bruins are rolling. Their top two lines are really good. And, uh, they're, you know, Jake DeBrusque is now in their bottom six, and he's been really good. Like, that's an excellent production guy in the bottom six, and Charlie McAvoy. So I'll, I'll take the Bruins uh, under in six and under all day. Just to just to offer a little rebuttal here
2: to flip one thing you said on its head. In the same way, the Bruins are not going to get the easy goals that they had on the Caps with the way that Ilya Sorokin has been playing. So, I don't know. I don't know. Well, what if Varlamov's in there? Trust me, gift (laughs) gifted. Sorokin is going to be in net the way that he played in that series. Yeah.
0: Uh, speaking of Tristan Jari, the Pittsburgh fan base is not too happy with what they got from their yeah. goaltending. You can understand why I'll say Pittsburgh will have a new starting goaltender in that organization by the start of next season. Jason buying or selling.
1: Yeah, I would sell on that big time. I think the penguins, you can, you know, what's funny. You go back to Tristan, Jari, go back to 13, 14, Mark Andre Fleury, say percentage Jari was still better this year. Hey, Jari's a young goaltender and you know what? It's six games he uh you know i would give him the puck in overtime a hundred times i don't think he's serving up a pizza like he did to josh bailey again right like he's a really good puck mover so i will uh tristan jari will be back in pittsburgh i I don't have much doubt about that
2: i'm buying i'm tristan jari will be back i just don't think it'll be as the starter i think they're going to bring someone else into if not challenge um than to play in tandem. Uh, I think the way that the season played out, the lack of confidence, you could see that bench sag, you could see the team sag. Uh, he looked like a man that was pleading to get out of the net. And the fact that Casey De Smith was hurt, uh, put them in a tough spot and left it all on, on Jari. But I still think that y- you have to make some sort of decision this summer to bring someone else in.
0: Any names you think that might interest them? Too soon to go.
2: Yeah. Too soon to tell. Cause there's going to be so much in play with the expansion draft.
0: Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, the last buyer sell question, we got two teams that were bounced in the first round, the St. Louis blues and the Washington capitals. If you had to buy stock on one of these teams moving into next season, which one has the brighter future? Are you buying on Washington or are you buying on St. Louis Frank? I'm buying on Washington.
2: Um, I, I still think that that group, you know, people look, and the question with both teams was, with the number of first round exits that they've had, both before and now after winning their Stanley Cup, was the Cup a fluke? And I, I think, you know, it's it's too hard to win. I don't, I don't, I think it's unfair to say to any team um, that it's a fluke to get 16 wins in a postseason. And I think with with Washington. Uh, with the changes that they've already made up front, moving out Verona, they're going to be moving out Kuznetsov. They're going to reinvent themselves a little bit. I think their back end is stronger. I think their goaltending is stronger. Uh, you know, Jordan Bennington, 0-9 in career playoff starts since winning the Stanley Cup. And their defense really took a hit this year in St. Louis. And so much change and influx coming uh, at forward with St. Louis for the team that's gotten a little long in the tooth. I think I'm going to go with Washington.
1: Oh, yeah, I, I would take the Caps for sure. I, I like their team. I, St. Louis, you know what? They're such a different team than when they won the Stanley Cup, specifically on the back end. And, you know, you know, Petrangelo, no Edmonds, and Jay Bowmeister was an excellent defender who just, you know what? He didn't say much at all, but man, he played. He was just, you, you never noticed him because he rarely made a mistake. And the guys they were all huge. I just think that's a tough loss for the Blues. They'll be a competitive team. Next year, they're going to be in a tough division, though. The Central will be a very tough division next year. Um, But I take Washington all day. I think there's a really good chance the Blues might not make the playoffs next year unless they make a significant change uh, in the offseason. And I wonder what they do with some of their free agents.
0: Yeah, it'll be an interesting offseason in both those markets. Uh, That is Buy or Sell brought to you by Jock MKT. Stay in the game at jockmkt.com, the hybrid between fantasy sports and the stock market. Get involved for the second round of the playoffs and use that promo code DFO50. Awesome Well, Frank, let's get to our
1: uh, big guest today, uh, Trip Tracy, a longtime analyst and guy's a really good storyteller. And the thing I like about Trip is uh, he'll give you his opinion. Our next
2: guest is a proud Michigan native, a graduate of Harvard University. And for the last 20 plus years, he's been one of the voices of the Carolina Hurricanes, a huge part of the fabric of their culture of that franchise. And he's also the host of the Dig In with Trip podcast. Please welcome to the DFO Rundown, Trip Tracy. Thanks so much for joining us.
3: Hi, Frank. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been a very enjoyable experience for you and I to become friends like we have. Thanks to our mutual friend, Kevin, Shady80weeks, and uh, it's, it's great to be with you today.
2: So let's start here. It's Friday morning. It feels like the Carolina Hurricanes just ended their game against the Nashville Predators in overtime. I'm sure you had trouble uh, getting some sleep after seeing the video that surfaced on social media, Rod Brindamore, uh, wishing his dad, happy birthday. I know, you know, the Brindamore family so well. Uh, what was that like watching that clip and seeing the players react to uh, that celebration in the locker room?
3: Uh, it's everything that's spectacularly special about Rod Brindamore. Yeah. I mean, I, he is my closest friend in the organization. Um, I did walk his mom, Linda, uh, down the aisle, uh, when he got married here in, in Carolina, um, to his current wife, Amy and Bob Brindamore is a, is a bigger than life personality. Um, he's had some health concerns for several years now. It has not at all dampened his, his, uh, spirit. He is, um, he, he's very different than Rod. I mean, Linda, his mom is much more like Rod, but Bob is the life of any party way back on the front lines of the, uh, the first dad's trip, not just in Carolina, but really right there in the NHL, Peter Laviolette was the coach. Bob Brindamore was the mayor of the dad's trips. Um, he, uh, Bob and Linda live in Campbell river. Island, as you know, just uh, west of Vancouver. So with COVID, Rod hasn't been able to see his mom and dad. Um, and, and Bob and I have become very close. I, I dated a, um, a, a French-Vietnamese woman years ago, and she came to Raleigh, and Bob and Linda happened to be at the game. And, and I needed – she learned English for me, and I needed somebody that could speak French with her to sit and watch the game. And, uh, and it was Bob. And Bob sat there and told her the entire game in the lower bowl, two things. Number one, why are you dating Tripp? Why aren't you should be dating one of these players? And then he kept pointing up to Rod's uh, you know, jersey, number 17, retired in the Raptors. He was legendary when he went over with, among others, Carl Lindros and Ron Iserman, Steve Iserman's father in Nagano. They had some real fun in 98. And uh, he's quick to tell me whether I have pheromones or not. Uh, depending on what stage I'm at in life. And he is Rod, like uh, if, if if we're lucky enough to say we have the greatest mother and father that there is, I know I can say it. I know Rod can say it. And um, Linda and Bob Brindamore, Frank, have made my life infinitely better. So that made that passion, uh, that um, emotional video after Sebastian Ajo's uh, overtime of that much more special. What,
2: what does it say, Tripp, about the environment, you know, I, the word culture is thrown around so often, but I think sometimes it doesn't, you know, it doesn't ring true in certain markets, certain teams, you know, within the walls of their group. But I think here, it just in Carolina, it feels different. What does it say about what Rod has built there? Um, you know, really from the ground up, starting as a you know, player, captain, assistant coach, then now to having this, you know, be the guy that everyone looks towards.
3: Frank, it's such a great question uh, because you take it all the way back. You know, St. Louis Blues draft pick, but then uh, a guy that is immensely popular in Philadelphia, what he gave to that great organization to this day. I mean, I remember when he made the draft pick in Ron Francis' first draft as general manager in 2014 in Philly, and he was the only guy that not only didn't get booed, I mean, the, you know, they they applauded through the roof uh, for Rod. So I mentioned that because I can distinctly remember looking down at warm-ups after he got traded. He was getting ready for a game with the Flyers in Pittsburgh, found out from Paul Holmgren. And at that point, he comes to Carolina. I think the Canes were playing Montreal. And I looked down, and, you know, there's nobody in the building. There's no atmosphere. Uh, and, and I'm thinking – what must he be thinking right now? So for Rod, all these years later, leading the team to a Stanley Cup would have made a great argument along, you know, because Cam Ward won it, but to be a conn Smythe winner. I think he's a Hall of Famer as a player. I hope that I know what he's achieving in coaching is a different category, but maybe it at least increases the conversation. Um, but what he did as a player and then got to a point And this is what is, I think, most special for the Hurricanes organization, where he thought of and thinks of himself as a Carolina Hurricane. And that is such a tribute to the Hurricanes based on what the Flyers meant to him and how, in what regard I hold. Uh, Frank, I lost you for a second because guess who was just calling and I had to scream? (laughs) Rod. There you Um, go. So, you know, he, he has... Carolina hurricane's DNA. He bleeds Carolina hurricane's blood. And then I thought about after he retired, you know, I think he, I don't think, I know he would have preferred to go in management. He elected to start, you know, he put his toe in the water with Kirk Muller because he's a father uh, above anything else. It's sort of an eye in the sky, extra coach. Johnny McClain was running the forwards. And I could just tell, this is going to be an exceptional coach. I remember being on the plane one day and I was sitting with the great Chuck Caden and Jimmy Rutherford came back, you know, where the pre-board food was and he turned to Chuck and I and he pointed to Rod and he goes, he's going to be a great coach someday. And, (laughs) and he, what he did is he knew that he had to turn video into a strength because he hated video as a player. I, I loved hearing from Peter Laviolette, like Kevin McCarthy, when they yanked Rod in to look at video, and it was like pulling teeth. So he knew he had to make that strength. And then all of the things that make him a leader, all the things that make him selfless, all of the things that uh, make him a person that whoever is around him, that they will swim the oceans for, those are intangibles that I just don't think other coaches have in spades like he does. So all of these factors, uh, it's not surprising at all for me to see him having the success that he has. I think you'd be hard-pressed, really, maybe even ever in the game, to see more of a similar captain and coach in personality and position, the way they played the game, the, the way they approach life with the epitome of class. And it's just um, it's Carolina Hurricanes organization that could not be more fortunate to have the type of character as your head coach, and of course, as your captain and Jordan Stahl, to be the faces of your organization. Trip,
1: you've been around the organization a long time. And, you know, you go back to the early 2000s and, you know, they're making Stanley Cup final appearances and then they're out of the playoffs and then they win the Stanley Cup and then they're out of the playoffs. And then they go to the conference final. Like it was like all or nothing, real feast or famine for that team. And But the last few years, they've changed. And I look at the Carolina hurricanes, you know, they got the storm surge, like they're very different than other NHL teams. They seem to have a little bit more fun. They seem to eliminate the stuffiness. Sometimes that maybe goes with the NHL Uh, their, their, their Twitter, their social media is one of the best in the league. And obviously they're a very good team on the ice. What changed in that transition of the hurricanes, you know, because it seemed like they had that winning culture and it would kind of go away. And then all of a sudden they'd have a great year and then it would go away. But now it seems more embedded. How come?
3: Rod. I mean, it's, it's strange for me to say that because the players are the guys that they're the performers. They have to go out and play. And Rod would be the first thing to say. It's all about them. And Hey, listen, you can't win and you can't punch a playoff ticket for three consecutive years in a parody driven national hockey league when it's hard to make the playoffs really hard. I know because 10 years without the playoffs gives you a black belt. In how, how to grow as a credible announcer in this league. And so there's, there's nobody that's enjoying this more in calling much easier games than the 10. I mean, any announcer and analyst that can get 10 through 10 years uh, of not making the playoffs main, hopefully maintain credibility and objectivity and not get fired. I mean, that's tough. And so, but Rod, the first day that he got the job, he did two things. he, raised the level of expectation and said, our exp- expectation is to win the Stanley cup. Every team says it, but it hadn't really been said by the previous regime. Uh, and then the second thing was he quickly uh, amended a, a tough decision, a poor decision uh, of the previous coach and bill Peters and uh, naming co-captains and Jordan stall and Justin Falk at the time when he had Justin Williams, a three-time Stanley cup champion, uh, Rod is maybe his favorite winger of his entire career was Justin Williams. So he, he made that adjustment, made Justin captain, raised the bar of expectation. Uh, the team has been, you know, has been witness to a lot of excellent things that Ron Francis did drafting and developing players patiently. So, and then an attacking nature of being aggressive and making deals i think that's don waddell's signature mark uh, tom dundon after he bought the team wanted the hurricanes to become relevant again uh, and it, we are in the entertainment business so i think that's where uh, tom has made his most positive impact with regards to things you mentioned in social media uh, the surge was player driven i loved it right from the get-go You want to break down the boards and the glass and really have no barrier with your fans. You have a very unique fan base here in Carolina. And I think for all of these reasons, you know the Hurricanes um, have been consistently relevant in the league. They now have a flat-out Stanley Cup challenging team to the point where they are equipped. They fought for home ice with Tampa. Tampa's rolling on all cylinders. They are equipped to go toe-to-toe. Uh, with the Tampa Bay Lightning in a pick series when I look at every position.
1: Oh, it's, it's going to be a monumental clash. And I, I think you maybe, unlike a lot of guys, can talk very in-depth about the goaltending position, of course, because that's where you played at Harvard. Um, goaltending, it, it, for, for non-goalies, at times I joke it's like it's voodoo because we see so many goalies, like najelkovic was on waivers and no one claimed him. So that means there's no team that thought that this guy was going to become this dominant how come? Like, why is he so good? And did you see this? Or is this even a surprise for you as a goalie?
3: Yeah, I got a call and um, it would have been, I, I'm trying to remember exactly when it was in 2012 because I grew up in the Detroit area um, and I had played junior hockey before I went to college um, with a guy named Mark Fallucci and his brother Mike Fallucci would come back from playing pro and skate with us. So I knew Mike. And, you know, Mike went on to um, be the coach and general manager of Plymouth Whalers, uh, came to Carolina, assistant GM, coached the American League team to a their Cup is in Pittsburgh right now with Mike Sullivan. And so I knew Mike Vellucci uh, and know him quite well. And he called me in 2012, right after the OHL entry draft. And he said, Trip, you're going to want to keep an eye on this guy, Ned. He's got it. And Mike and I, our relationship, Pete Carmanis, our longtime majority owner, watched a ton of Plymouth games, always did because he lives 10 minutes away in Detroit. Uh, He also made note of Alex Adelkovich uh, watching him, seeing him with the Whalers. So when those two people, and I've always loved the way that uh, Pete Carmanis and Mike Vellucci see the game, uh, he was instantly on my radar. So I tracked him, and then I remember his first start in Vancouver where John Forsen and I were calling the game at the time in in our 20-plus years together. I don't know if the Canes had won a game in Vancouver. And that was the year that they had the big second half to get back in the playoffs, the first of these three uh, now playoff appearances. And Nedeljkovic showed evident self-belief, and swagger right from the get-go, especially with his willingness to play the puck And then the biggest thing for me was his first start this season. He lost in Columbus. I called him the next day just to check in and tell him, Hey, I thought your body language was quite good, even though you lost the game. And that's when he said to me, Trip, I will dominate in this league. And I'm inside as the analyst. I'm like, all right, Ned, I'm going to make an executive decision here not to use this, (laughs) but now I can. And you can't teach that type of belief. You can't. I can tell you, it's what put me on the autobahn to the, to the TV booth because I had doubt. That's how I can tell. I have, I have belief as a broadcaster that, unfortunately, I didn't have getting the nickname, the great Gester." He has that alpha belief. Peter Morozik has it, too. James Reimer is more of a, a, you know, a, a really good backup goaltender with his personality, who's been a very fine hurricane. But when I look at it, Alex, he was the right decision based on the way that things went at the end of the regular season, even though I think Rod would have loved to have started with his guy because Rod's that loyal in Mrazik. But it was the right decision to start with Nadelkovic. If he had struggled, you could have gone to Mrazik, him against the world, something to prove you still can against Tampa, because it may require two goaltenders to match and exceed a a, a goaltender of the stature of Andre Vasilevsky. But Alex Adelkovich, um, he has the mental psyche and what you need between the ears to now go toe-to-toe with Andre Vasilevsky. From a mechanical standpoint, he's doing a far better job of staying on his feet as a longer goaltender, and if he drops to his knees, his hands – Attack the puck. That was very evident to me uh, in the clinching game in Nashville last night. Um, that's the big mechanical improvement he's made for me. His hand position specifically, his glove establishing the high portion of the net and remaining on his feet when you have to have the courage to put yourself in position to get hit. Once upon a time, or Zerbe way back when impressed me in a Stanley Cup run doing just that. Um, he's been quite a story. I wish I could say it's a surprise, but going back to 2012, he, he genuinely and earnestly has been on my radar.
2: Trip. If people are watching on YouTube, they can see your hat and your podcast is so aptly named because the hurricanes brought their shovel to play against Nashville. Um, You know, what they had to wade through, I called it the muck. Like it was the swamp to get to the net uh, what do you make of what's coming the hurricane's way with the stylistic change now in facing a team like Tampa, it's not going to be that same style.
3: You know, Frank, I, okay. First of all, cause it's, it's Friday. Now I'm hearing that the game one's going to be Sunday. Mm-hmm. So you can, you can savor, uh, savor last night's victory in the series win and relish it. I think through today and then, Think about Tampa. So in doing both for you, uh, you look at the last many Stanley Cup champions. Tampa might be an exception, although they had that ridiculously long overtime game with Columbus in the first game of the first round, if you want to categorize that as adversity. When you look at teams that eventually win, Frank, so many of them, if not the majority of them, face major adversity in the first round. I mean, I look at Carolina. When they won, dropped the first two games at home to a very good Montreal team. They weren't generating anything down one, nothing in the third period. I mean, nothing. I remember calling that game, uh, Cam Ward, a rookie making his first, uh, playoff start was the reason they were in the game. And Rod Brindamore just willed one in on a pass from Brett Hedekin. The stick came together Rod with Craig Rivet, and the puck just squibbled between the legs of a red hot Cristobal Ua. That changed everything. That was adversity, Frank. The Hurricanes rolled off four straight. You look at Boston when they won the cup uh, and beating Vancouver. They dropped the first two games to Montreal on home ice. Washington dropped the first two games to Columbus when they won the cup. So the adversity that usually is there in the first round, it showed itself differently, but Nashville absolutely provided it. Not surprising at all because Nashville is a flat-out darn good team If people didn't recognize that. They weren't watching what they did in the second half of the regular season. Um, so to lose two consecutive double overtime games, to lose your most important skater, in my view, and Jacob Slaven after game one until game five, to be down in game five in the third period, when I think the Predators were playing a brand of hockey that they felt they had the, the series in their grasp. Rod was very vocal on the bench saying, are we going to waste everything that we've invested in this to go away quietly? And that's when Marty Nate just made a play and Jordan Stahl ended in overtime. And then even in the adversity last night, Nashville um, down a couple of goals for the first time in the series. So that adversity, now that they've gotten through it, will serve them well. It will give them even more belief. It will make them even more galvanized. How do they beat? the Stanley cup champions rolling on all cylinders for me. I believe now that it looks like Slavin's health is getting better. And at least for now, it looks like he's good to go. I think the blue lines match each other. Pesci and Shea, in particular had tremendous first uh, rounds in um, Slavin's absence. Dougie Hamilton candidly, eh, just okay. But he digs in and scores the tying goal in game six. How does he build off of that? So I look from top to bottom. I know you have headman there. I just, I think that these are two blue lines that cancel each other out with eliteness. Um, if Nadelkovich and or Marazic can outplay Andre Vasilevsky in however many games it goes, six, seven in all likelihood, that's a factor. Uh, And then Carolina's power play that was number one for a lot of the year. We know that uh, Tampa's power play is a thing of beauty right now with Kucherov and Stamkos back and good to go. So can Carolina match the Tampa power play? If those things happen, match their goaltending, match their power play. Carolina, Frank, had a decided edge in the middle of the ice. There's so much improved. They've lost to the Boston Bruins and been eliminated the last couple of playoffs because they haven't been strong enough and deep enough in the middle. Um, and Ajo, Jordan Stahl is a different hockey player this year. Vincent Trocek has been a different hockey player this year. And whether it be Steven Lorenz or Cedric Paquette, the former Tampa Bay Lightning forward, comes in. I do think even against Tampa, one through four, the way that Ajo played with five goals in the first uh, round, Jordan Stahl was as good as any player For anybody in the first round with four goals and all big ones, Trocek had two. There's still more there for him. Uh, And the dynamic nature of a guy like Steven Lorenz, a big guy that can skate and can play with appropriate bite. That remains the one area, Frank, that I think the Hurricanes have a slight edge. And uh, the center ice position, it's not as decided as it was in the Nashville series, because Nashville has really been looking for a true franchise center for their entire existence. But that's where Carolina, if they can match those other areas, can beat Tampa with home ice and move on.
2: So you, you said something, Tripp, that caught my ear. You said Jacob Sleven is Carolina's most important skater, which is a, a pretty significant opinion, given the fact that I gave Dougie Hamilton a Norris vote. And you've got Aho and, and the impact that he's had this year. Jordan Stahl was on my Selkie ballot. You know, why what makes Jacob Slavin such a difference maker for this team when he's healthy? Uh,
3: Because the, the lineup looks entirely different when he's not playing Um, with regards to defensive depth. People have been talking about the hurricanes defense and it being their strength for several years. I think that it's their strength up top, but all of a sudden you lose a guy like Slavin, you know, the depth is, is not exactly where I, I, I would love it to be. The depth up front is outstanding. It is way better than it was two years ago when they went to the conference finals. Uh, They can roll four lines. They got a couple of guys that if you had injuries can jump in there and make an impact and you don't miss a beat. The goaltender, you have three guys that give you a chance to win. Uh, Dougie Hamilton is, in his Carolina tenure, this is what Dougie Hamilton, at this point, I think you almost have to say this is what he is. He is uh, an offensive defenseman, who has enjoyed a few stretches where he's been serviceable defensively, but it's, I've, I don't know that I've ever seen him elite defensively and play with snarl defensively. You could make the argument before he broke his leg last year. And and it would be a very sound argument that he was playing the most complete hockey of his career and a true Norris Trophy candidate, Frank. This season, even when he had that 14, 15, however many games it was that points tree. 14. Dougie, games. 14 games. He was offensive, but I'm going to tell you, there were holes defensively. It's my job. I, that's my job. He's, in terms of his all-around value, but he does things that you cannot teach that change games. He had had a very rough series. Uh, really, his roughest game was game four. Uh, where he was uh, a component of all four goals against. He bounced back, but didn't get rewarded in game five. Uh, and then last night was a little bit of a mixed bag. Uh, and then he makes the play on a set faceoff play to tie the game. But who's the guy not known for his offense that makes the play on the tying goal, jumping down from the strong side point, saucer pass Rougineau's legs to find Dougie Hamilton? Jacob Slavin. Who gets into the net on Ajo's series winner? Jacob Slavin. Who is, you know, when it comes to who are your best defensive defensemen on the Carolina Hurricanes, this is the ranking. Slavin and Pesci are, it's a coin toss. And then whichever one, how you go one, two there defensively, then it is Brady Shea, then it's Dougie Hamilton. Okay, so how you define what the Norris Trophy is, if it is a defensive defenseman first and, you know, and and then offensive production, I mean, Slavin doesn't check both those boxes, but as defensive defenseman on the Carolina Hurricanes, it's, it's Slavin, it's Pesci, it's Shea, and then Hamilton. But with that being said, Dougie Hamilton could use what happened in game six to be a springboard to outplay the likes of Hedman McDonough, Sergachev, the strongest, probably the strongest left side in hockey, Frank. And what Dougie does have that a guy like Victor Hedman has that only a few guys do is the ability to turn a game on its ear. Jacob Slavin can flourish in the lineup with or without Dougie Hamilton. That's why he's the most important skater. Dougie Hamilton, until proven otherwise, needs Jacob Slavin. Trip,
1: I love, your, I love your in-depth analysis and honesty. So uh, a lot of people watching because Dougie Hamilton's a pending UFA. Do you see him re-signing in Carolina or do you think he's going to test the market?
3: I, I just don't know. And I haven't given it, a truthfully, a ton of thought right now. Um, I, I just, when I look at, you know, I, I had a great conversation with somebody Um, it was actually with Pete Karamanis earlier this year. And, um, you know, he was, he's a a big advocate for Dougie Hamilton. And, and he said, and I, I'm very at times critical of Dougie on television, just because I feel like he can be elite in all of these categories, defensively, physically, and then the things that you just can't teach and you can't duplicate offensively. Um, But Pete, Pete aptly and appropriately said to me, he said, well, do you, are you critical of Slavin when things don't come naturally for him offensively? And I said, no. And he said, well, then should you be critical of Hamilton if the, the occasional mishap is there defensively? And that's a very good question that he posed. He's a hall of famer. Um, But when I look at how I define a Norris Trophy candidate, I know it's changed, but it is an all-around dominating defenseman. And that's what Dougie was last year before he broke his leg. That's not what he's been this year. He has historically had moments in the playoffs both ways. So when you ask about the summer, Here he's going toe-to-toe, coming right up, (laughs) coming right up, coming off of a big-time goal and an eventual overtime win in in game six, and he's going toe-to-toe with Hedman, with McDonough, with Sergachev. I'll tell you, if he outplays Victor Hedman, which he's capable of doing in a Carolina victory, then that drives his value up in the offseason. But I'll tell you, if he does, it's going to be because of the built-in insulary support and the unsung elite work of Jacob Slavin. And I think we saw when Jacob Slavin was out of the lineup, how much Jacob Slavin has meant as the centerpiece to the success of Dougie Hamilton.
1: Uh, one last one for me, Trip. I know that when you graduated Harvard, you, uh, you, you briefly worked at CNN before going to the uh, Carolina Hurricanes. So let's, uh, let's roll back a few years, and uh, let's assume that Trip Tracy stays at CNN. What would have been your ideal gig to do at CNN?
3: Well, I, <laughs> you know, I got called at my second year playing for a cup of coffee in the NHL. It anyway, was a shot of espresso. And, you know, I backed up, but I didn't play. And, you know, the Hurricanes offered me another contract, but I didn't see the, the movement in terms of the pecking order for goaltenders. Um, so I figured, OK, you know, this is my time to move on to the next chapter. And really, a friend of mine that believed in me, uh, it's actually my former college captain, Ted Drury's father-in-law. His name is uh, Dan Berkeley, big TV guy in Boston. He got me just this production assistant job at CNNSI. And, you know, I was just there making 12, 13 bucks an hour and, you know, in helping to prepare things for the host. Cause CNNSI at the time was like sports center. And then eventually the plan is you use their facilities to make some type of a tape, a reel, and then you choose either sports or news. You go small market and see where it takes you. Well, I had just moved to Atlanta, great town. And I I came home one night and I saw that um, Bill Gardner, who was working with John Forslund, the Bill Gardner, the color analyst, and uh, he had an opportunity to go to the team that was near and dear to his heart in the Chicago Blackhawks right before the regular season started. And so I just called Pete Carmanis and Jim Rutherford was the general manager. And I, Jason Carmanis, my college roommate at Harvard had just become the assistant GM. And I said, I don't know if you guys will consider me, but I'd love to apply for the job. I had done a little bit of color when I was a healthy extra in a Calder cup run with among others, Manny legacy. And, uh, we had a very good team in Springfield I was, you know, I didn't dress in the semifinals. So I did radio color. So at least I could, I had that tape with Chris Kerber, a great, the great Chris Kerber, who's uh, long been doing super work with the St. Louis Blues. And can remember, remember doing games with him at Hershey Park Arena. And I had done a couple of things, just not much, but a show I had with the Richmond Renegades in the East Coast League. But it came down to it. Pete Carmanis um, made a decision with, I think, a temporary facility in Greensboro. So you're building a new fan base you could get away with if you think he has potential, uh, a color guy that has to sort of learn on the fly. Uh, and that's why I got the job. What would have happened with CNNSI? I have no idea. You know, sports news, where I would have gone, but the, the goal would have been to make a take. Uh, but, uh, you know, Pete Carmanis gave me an opportunity. He believed in me. Uh, and the coolest part was, I think it was just a year or two ago, Winnipeg was in town and I was out uh, to dinner with Paul Maurice and Pete had done the same thing for him, making him an assistant coach and then eventually a head coach in Hartford. And we texted Pete and said, you know, Pete, you know, we're thinking about you. And he, he said some really nice things, how proud he was and is of both of us. So, but the way Carolina has become a great hockey market an educated hockey market, there's no way you could get away with a TV guy with no experience. I mean, because I mean, when I think about that first year, my first ever road game, now that this Nashville series has ended was the first ever win in Nashville predators history. And Nashville didn't do the game. It was in October of 98. David Carpa was playing defense for us at the time. Didn't like a call. Either it was a puck or a stick that broke the glass. It led to like a 15-minute delay. I had been out to dinner with Chuck Caden into the wee hours the night before. Way to go, Trip. Way to prepare for your first ever road broadcast. <laughs> and so we get that delay. And then I have to watch it for the next 15 years because it was on ESPN classic and the Disney channel because Nashville didn't do TV. And it was the first win in the history of that, uh, outstanding franchise. How do you make yourself vomit? Go listen to yourself on that broadcast. And, um, I, 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 have just been given this phenomenal opportunity, uh, back then by Pete to, um, to hopefully develop into a good commentator, and I just always keep that in mind, and um, and give it all I've got.
2: All right, Trip, we really appreciate your time. So we're going <clears> to <throat> wrap up here with a little bit of rapid fire. The only rule here is that you have to answer the question honestly. All right, you ready?
3: Yeah, you got it, Frank.
2: All right. So the the Carolina Hurricanes wrap up their season or their series in OT last night. What is Trip Tracy's drink of choice to celebrate a win?
3: Not last night because I had to uh, come on with you guys bright early this morning and I got home at 2.30, uh, but I think it would probably be um, dirty martini. I like it. Olives?
2: Do you go olives or no? Uh,
3: blue cheese stuffed, and if they can even throw some jalapenos in there, uh, that's, that's been a new uh, adjustment here in the last couple of years with a, the, from a buddy of mine in uh, Pure Michigan where I'm from.
2: I like it. So name one thing that you're better at than Rod Brindamore.
3: <laughs> um, mojo.
2: Mojo. So you're going to need to describe, explain that.
3: Uh, well, you know, it's Bob's birthday and Bob, Rod, and I had, um, uh, I can remember um, a lunch we had in beautiful Vancouver, right near our hotel. And it was with uh, Rod has been, um, incredibly um, impactful in cystic fibrosis in Western Canada. It, it in there's this uh, wonderful uh, woman that uh, that that Rod has become lifelong friends with. So we were all sitting at lunch, and I had a I, I had a crush on the waitress, and you know I was through a, just through a breakup. And Bob Brindamore, Rod's dad, is telling me I've got no pheromones. My pheromones are gone. She can feel it. And Rod, you know, and this just came up, too, because I was talking yesterday, Frank, that, uh, you know, that uh, I remember watching when Kate and William and, you know, had the royal wedding. And I talked to Rod's mom because I saw Pippa Middleton in her dress. And I said, you know, I think I'm going to ask her out. And Rod goes, no (laughs) chance. No chance. Well, Rod is uh, overachieved with his beautiful, wonderful wife, Amy. Uh, But toe to toe, Rod cannot uh, match my mojo all
2: right so give me one word here's another close friend you mentioned jason carmanos uh, assistant gm now associate gm in buffalo one word to describe why he will help turn around the sabers
3: mensa like iq i think that's three words but
2: okay we'll, we'll mensa.
3: that mensa okay i like it so I believe
2: it's your cousin, Jim Farley, is the CEO of the Ford Motor Company. What Ford is Trip Tracy buying?
3: Uh, I, I'd love to give you one word, but it's a, it, it, it's a struggle right now. And I've been talking to Jimmy about it. Boy, what a job he's doing. No surprise to me. So proud of him. His uh, mother was my godmother. Um, it's, he, he's been uh, pushing me on this limited edition uh, Bronco Warthog. Uh, there is a limited uh, Mustang uh, that I drove a couple of times in Michigan last summer. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe if I save enough, I could get both. Uh, but it, Frank, it would be between those two, the warthog that he's been pushing. That's the one he's been pushing or the limited Mustang. Um, those are the finalists.
2: Very nice. Like the warthog. Yeah. Um... Is there another blooper in your reel aside from that first win in Preds history that really
3: makes you blush? (laughs) Yeah, this one is good. A few years ago, I remember, you know, the first couple of years on the job, you're excited, you want to be dapper. So say five game road trip, you're bringing five suits. Now, years later, I'm lucky if I bring two. And I'm, you know, I, we had a trip through Arizona, Vegas, St. Louis, and uh, Chicago. And I've got one suit and a, and a slowing metabolism as I had hit the second half of my forties. And we had our, we were down by the locker room and John Forson and I at the time were walking up to just go to the booth a couple hours before game time. I hadn't seen Darren Pang all day. And all of a sudden out of my left ear, I'm walking uh, you know, by the, the the club there in front of the Blues locker room. Tripper, tripper. And I turned, I just pivoted to say hello to Panger, and my pants split. Um, I may or may not uh, have been, there, there could have been a commando situation there. <laughs> and so I got up to the booth, and I looked to John Forslund and his sideburns, and I said, what do you think? Can I get away with this? And it, it was right on the right on the, the middle of the, uh, the, the well, let's just call it the middle of the rear line, right down the middle. And I had to go down to do a bench interview with Michael Furland. And so my my You're backside, I, I it's cold in there, too, by the way. St. Louis, one of the colder buildings. And my backside was totally exposed. Commandoville and the whole lower bowl would have seen it. I had no other suit. And I said, John, can I get away with this? He said, no way. So I put on Lulu lemons. And so I finished the road trip with my uh, suit coat shirt and tie and Lulu lemons. Uh, the things you do to pivot and uh, uh, stretch for a great guy like Darren Payne.:
2: Amazing. All right. Two last quick rapid fires. When the pandemic is finally in our rearview mirror, where is Trip Tracy going on vacation?
3: Sardinia. Okay. Uh, Sardinia for sure. I had a 4th of July there with like a second family uh, for me where I'm from in Grosse Pointe. Um, a buddy, close friend that uh, we've been the closest in the world since we were 12, 13 years old. A um, couple of years ago, actually, after the conference final run, we went to uh, Mykonos and then Sardinia. And uh, I-, I try not to tell all of my Italian friends, this cause the 90%, maybe 95% of my closest friends are Italian, uh, Italian American. And, um, it really is true. You know, there are two kinds of people, Italians and those that want to be Italian. I had been all over Italy uh, on several occasions in my life. Sardinia is the cat's ass. It was uh, simply <laughs> unbelievable. So that's, that's my spot.
2: All right. And speaking of spot, I'm going to put you on the spot. We need a prediction round two. hurricanes lightning.
3: Canes and seven Frank biggest win of the regular season was late in April, Uh, Carolina. It was a Monday, Tuesday, back-to-back in Tampa. They had dropped the first game. Uh, Alex Kalorn had clocked Marty Natchez. The division, the top of the division and home ice was in doubt. Carolina responded and specifically their captain Jordan stall. You remember that battle with Yanni Gord and he scores that the game winner in that game and the hurricanes then achieve something that they needed to, in my opinion, and that's home ice against Tampa. So it's going to go seven and Carolina wins in seven.
2: In any normal year trip, I might call you a Homer, but in this year can totally see it. The hurricanes are right there. So, Thanks so much for joining us. Uh Trip, you were a fantastic guest. Please check out The Dig In with Trip Podcast wherever you get your podcast. Uh Trip Tracy, thanks so much for joining us.
3: Frank, I've I've long been an admirer of your work. I know that uh you've just begun a new chapter, which I think is phenomenal uh because that requires guts, that requires self-belief, that requires digging in. And uh and a guy of your talents uh, will uh, run with it like your Usain Bolt. So thank you. It's a great compliment to for you to ask me to come on. Thanks, I appreciate pal. it, man. Thanks. This was thank awesome. you, guys. Thanks, guys. I'm, I, you know, I'm pretty honest. I, you know, like I, I you know, what I. <laughs> that's the one thing over the years that happens. You know, you just get to the point where you just you just say whatever the heck you think. All right, half. Good for you. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. yeah. So I don't, that's, that's my honest to God read on Hamilton. I I don't, he did just finish this series with his best game. If I want to see what he does this next round, it's going to be interesting. So
2: it's going to be such a good series. Oh yeah. Oh. All
3: right, boys. Well have a great day. Thank you. Thanks again, guys, for having me. Hey, it, was Tripp, awesome. it was
1: awesome. Thank you. All right. Trip Tracy. I uh, love it. Uh, love his passion, uh, man. I really like his honesty. Uh, Dougie Hamilton's going to be a fascinating one for me. Frank is, you know what? I, I think he's a really good defenseman, but you know, did did, and I, I agree with uh, Trip's assessment. Jacob Slavin might be the most underrated defenseman in the national hockey league. He is incredible, very important player on that team. And so um, I'll be, uh, I'll be curious to see what they do with Dougie Hamilton in free agency. You don't want to let him walk, but, they might not want to pay him 8 million and he might want 8 million.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that's probably where the number starts. And I also think a team in Seattle would love to have a guy like Dougie Hamilton. So mm-hmm. I think yeah. there's lots of teams that would, so that would be willing to pony up. Um, yeah. I just don't know that they're going to
1: get there with how far apart they are at the moment. Yeah. Well, if you're Dougie Hamilton, man, you go from a really good Carolina team that looks like poised to be in the cup chase every year to an expansion team. Like that's great for the money, yeah. but. Is a great? It's, like I wonder
2: it's the one year you really have to cash in like his his current contract was pretty good and paid him a decent number but it sets him up in a totally different way for life I think you have to take the security
1: yeah potentially but man if you're making 6.5 instead of eight I, th- I unless that's you're- a lot it's it's
2: easy for us to say but six point five and eight it's a million and a half a year times seven or eight years yeah,
1: like it's what a what lot you, of money do you think about after taxes and everything else like you know dude it, you're, are you' are you like $10 million. Know, honestly, is, is, is that what you
2: leave on the table to go play for a cup contender? Like, how do you know that the team in Seattle is good or wherever you go is going to be no good?
1: Well, you, you don't know that. And I understand it, but to me, well, you do know that Carolina is competitive and you, you can look back on your life. And to me, if you have a hundred million dollars or you made 80 in your career, un- unless you've got the worst financial broker, it ain't making a difference. It's your, your, your life is not changing by that extra 20 mil at that point. I just don't think it is like, you know, I don't, I don't think it is You're. You're. how much more do you need to buy at the end of the day? Because you can't buy a championship and you can't buy the emotional joy you get from that. So if it was me, a lot me, of money to leave on the table, sure it is. But if you're walking away from the opportunity to ever win again, that's tough too. Mm-hmm. Now let's get to uh, speaking of winning uh, Boston, New York, what's your prediction? I'm going to say Boston and seven. Austin in seven. Okay. I got the uh, Bruins in six. We have uh, Carolina, Tampa.
2: Tampa in seven. I think that also goes the distance. And I could easily see Carolina winning that series. But I have to disagree with one part of Tripp's assessment. He said that he thinks Carolina's forwards get the edge. I think Carolina's defense gets the edge on depth. And I also think that Hedman just hasn't exactly been Hedman with his injury. They have the clear advantage in Tampa in net with Vasilevsky. And I I just think Tampa's forwards
1: depth and top end skill is just, is just better. Yeah. See, I picked Carolina to come out of the, at the start of the playoffs and I'm completely contradicting myself after watching Tampa Bay and, you know, Kucherov showed absolutely no rust. It's just, you get a hard trophy winner like that guy who can score almost at will in the NHL. You get him back in your lineup. I'm gonna take uh, Tampa in six in that one, and uh, we also uh, we we don't know the uh, the other two series yet. We know the Winnipeg's in. Well, we'll see what Toronto, Montreal, and then we'll see. I I guess I'll give you who who's taking on Colorado in the second round. I think Vegas wins in Game Seven. Vegas wins. I wonder about like you know no Patcheretti, no McNabb. Now maybe no Reeves. You know like got the COVID protocol. I still think I'm going to agree with you and take Vegas because uh, you know, after their devastating game seven loss to uh, San Jose and they've got, they got Pete DeBoer. He never loses in game seven. So I'll mm. take Pete streak to uh, stay alive undefeated in game sevens. Mm. Frank busy week. I was being a little bit of a long one. So we'll cut out of here. That was uh, the DFL rundown reminder brought to you by manscaped and the lawnmower 4.0 gentlemen. You want the twig and berries looking good, feeling good? Well, go to manscaped.com. You'll get 20% off and free shipping when you use the promo code DFO21. I got the lawnmower 4.0, and I'm telling you, it's a game changer. It's a, you're never nicking. You're never cutting. It is phenomenal. And as Frank likes to say, it's really a gift for your wife and girlfriend or your boyfriend as much as it is for you. Check it out, manscaped.com. Have a good weekend, Frank. You too. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Sarvali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and
3: subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode.